Before I get into this episode, I have to tell you about Making Marketing. It's a weekly conversation with the people who are leading and innovating the world of marketing, be it data, brand safety, transparency, relationship with platforms, or emerging markets like cannabis. They're at the front line. Some of our recent guests include David Tanser of MedMen, IBM's Michelle Peluso, and GoPro's Nick Woodman. Tune in on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Aditi Sangu and I'm bringing you a session from the Digiday Programmatic Summit we recently held in Scottsdale, Arizona. With the rise of programmatic, the New York Times had to completely rework the way it operates to grow revenue effectively and efficiently. From launching new data ad products, to selecting top-tier programmatic exchanges, to organizational changes. Hear from Jay Glogowski. He's the director of Yield and Programmatic at the Times, and he talks about how the legacy publication deals with programmatic shifts. Listen in. I thought I would try to win the contest of the most boring title um, today. So legacy publishers and programmatic is pretty boring, so I think I win. I'm also extremely happy that Jana is back there and she can't ask me questions out here. So, um, But she did give me a good thing to think about before coming up on stage. And um, I was talking to her about what I would be talking about. And she's like, what are people going to get out of it? So what I hope that. I talk about and what you take away, even if it's one of you, is that the New York Times is 167 years old, and we're just figuring out programmatic now. And we had to fail a lot to get to where we are today. Um, and I want to go through a little brief history of the, the, the Times and actually talk about what we've done recently. And the goal of this is actually hoping that others take the strategies that we are employing to help all of us, ultimately, and improve the industry um, that we have today. Because there is a lot of nefarious actors. It's shady. Um, and it's, it's a hard job. Um, so a little bit about the Times, and I'm going to do this very, very briefly. We are the largest news publication in the world. We have 1,450 journalists. The only larger one is BBC, which is state-owned, so I don't think that counts. We have more publishers than any other, or I'm sorry, more Pulitzers than any other publisher. Uh, two more uh, than the next in uh, line, and that is the Washington Post. <coughs> We're beating them. Um, we are the number one most cited uh, publisher in the globe. Uh, and we have over 60, 600 engineers working across the, uh, the company embedded within each of our divisions because we know that technology is going to ultimately win. Um, and we're not a typical publisher that lives and dies by a 300 by 250 banner on your mobile app, regardless of if you monetize your app well or not. We actually don't live and die by that. We are a publisher, I'm sorry, a subscription first uh, publisher. We have over 4 million um, subscriptions to date. 3.1 million of those are digital. And that includes both our news app, our cooking app, and our uh, crosswords app. And then we also still have our traditional uh, print newspa newspaper that goes out. And Sunday, uh, Sunday newspaper edition is still one of our most favorite um, uh, products that we offer. All of this leads to we're over a billion dollars in subscription revenue annually. Um, and that does not include any advertisements. So um, we are in a good position where we don't suffer from uh, short-term uh, problems within the advertising space. 
So I wanted to do a quick timeline of where we've been at the times around advertising. So when print became a thing 167 years ago, there were ads. And that happened for a long time. And then uh, it rock digital rocked the world of our lives, and especially all the people at the times that have been there uh, for this entirety. Uh, first came the desktop home screen, which was the destination um, of our subscribers that were going online for the first time. During that time, we didn't know how to sell digital. We were giving it away as added value to buy print. Um, thankfully, another former Times person is nodding her head at that, so I got that one right, since I have not been there for 167 years. Um, and then also mobile disrupted it even more. And then, then came programmatic. And before that period of time, we figured out that we could actually sell a 300 by 250 or 970 by 250 on our properties and people would buy it. Then pro programmatic came up, and yes, I did use the Loom Escape on purpose because we were basically employing all of those partners on our site at one point. Um, and then once programmatic um, was adopted, we started exploring different revenue channels. So this was most famously with our T-Brand Studio, which has done over 400 um, unique, uh, uh, what, do, what do we call it, executions. And then now we're testing our betas where you have the audio uh, podcast success around the daily, our daily crossword, cooking, and we also purchased Wirecutter, which is a um, recommendation site. And then now, over the past 16 months, we've really entered a new period of time around our programmatic channel that's both to benefit our bottom line and then also our uh, subscribers, which is most important. But programmatic, like most, publish like most publishers, the Times was forced to add partners fast. I say partners because some of them, I wouldn't even call them SSP or a tag solution. I don't know what they were really. Um, but they were on our page, uh, and we actually had 40 unique relationships. Um, that's a little scary to me, and we'll I'll tell you in a second where we are today. But we were at a point where we were, we were out of control with adding more and more partners at the goal of growing our programmatic revenue and overall revenue. Um, programmatic was also managed by three different teams, which caused uh, a lot of problems. There was conflict of interest. There were goaling misalignments. Uh, um, it was broken up between a traditional, which doesn't make sense when I say traditional programmatic sales team. Um, nothing about programmatic sounds traditional. Um, ad platforms and the yield team. And lastly, we're 167 years old, uh, and print has been our core product for that time, trying to teach a global uh, sales team of over 100 uh, worldwide around what programmatic is, is a very difficult task to do. Um, and our sales team couldn't answer the most basic questions about programmatic. So we grew revenue really, really rapidly um, for programmatic. It outpaced our direct business. Obviously, it outpaced uh, the print business, which has been slowly declining. Um, but the challenges that accompany, accompanying it was really uh, a problem as well. Like I said, we have 4 million subscribers, and those 4 million subscribers are very vocal about things they don't like. And when they get a bad ad, we are first to know about it. So managing 40 unique relationships is impossible to manage the day-to-day. -day. Uh, bad ads, which is in quotes because that means something different to all of us in this room, um, surged. And we also had uh, nefarious partners, which weren't transparent and oftentimes didn't pay us when they were supposed to. Um, and then going back to global sales team, they couldn't an answer the most basic questions. And all of these challenges made us realize that we were doing something wrong um, and we had to fix it. So 
going back to this chart, we realized at this point we were making good money, obviously going back to the billion dollars plus, um, but we also had to make sure that our subscribers were not going to start gravitating to other publications because we are ultimately wanting a $2 CPM 300 by 250 in our mobile app. So we started thinking about what are our problems? And realistically, we had so many different teams internally calling on the same people at agencies and clients. A agency person um, actually in this room that is, now works for the Times got five pitches in one day uh, from five different people within the Times. And that's problematic. One, we've come off as really annoying. Uh, and then uh, back to the other problem, those five people didn't know what programmatic was. So they were writing just random weird questions. Um, and we realized that we had to do something about that. We had to make it easier to work with the Times, and we had to empower the people that were out there representing us to know about programmatic. So we made the, the decision, and it was a tough decision, um, to reduce the number of voices out in market within the agencies and at the clients. And we actually uh, consolidated the responsibilities around programmatic sales into a one central figurehead, and that is the client lead. And then we built teams of subject matter experts to help make them successful. In addition, and not on this slide, we also realized that we couldn't continue having three different teams make programmatic decisions. Um, so we consolidated that into one uh, team as well, um, where yield and programmatic lived together, and we made decisions that were ultimately going to help the bottom line. So it was a difficult decision. A lot of people in the industry still have programmatic sales teams. And they have value, for sure. Um, and one of the biggest challenges um, that we've encountered since making this decision is that we have to train these salespeople who, again, have been selling pr print for 167 years, what a PMP is, both private auction and preferred deal. And I know that sounds like, why is Jay saying that in this room? Because we say that probably 1,500 times a day and explain the differences. But it has proven successful, and we have better relationships within the walls of the agencies and at the clients. We also realized uh, this is not my ads.txt um, at the Times. I'm very proud of how slim it is when you go to ours. So I had to go pick on someone else's ads.txt. So if you take a photo of this, it's someone in this room, but uh, it's not ours. So we had 40 unique relationships. Uh, and that's just really frustrating to have that many. And it's a little embarrassing to say that for me, especially because our goal is growing subscriptions. And um, I take pride, and the rest of the programmatic team and our executives at the Times takes pride in having the highest quality ads next to the highest quality journalism. And that means we're, we're blocking more uh, bids than most other publishers. Uh, every time one of our uh, SSPs come in and do a QBR, they always have a slide that shows our block rate versus the market and block rate versus uh, our cohort. And they're always like, if you bring that down, you'll make X millions more dollars. And it's like, how can we bring it up another 5%? So I know that I'm never going to get a belly fat ad or something like that. Um, so that, that is one of our main focuses. So what we did was we cut 32 partners. Um, and we're constantly evaluating each of the partners that we have here. I actually didn't ask any of these partners if we could use their logo, but they always ask me if they can use mine, so I thought it was OK. Um, so I've, I think some of them are in here, so I'm sure they're OK with it. Um, so what I will say on this is there are 
partners that were on this list that are not on this list, and they were there at the beginning of this year. And there are partners on this list that we are evaluating right now and make sure that the, part, the partnership is mutually beneficial. And when I say mutually beneficial, it's not maximizing and juicing the revenue number, but it's making sure that we preserve the integrity of our environment and grow subscriptions. So this list, I would not be shocked. It continues to change in logos in both reduction and additions. Whoever is willing to work with us and have the best uh, experience for our users, we will work with. Um, I will also say none of these guys are perfect. They all have problems. I'm back there with Jana, and she's telling me about one of these partners on there, and she looks at me like, how could you be working with them? And that's a fair question, and that's something that each of us have to make a decision about. But I will say, when you go from so many to a lot little, you do have a lot more flexibility to work within the, these partners, and it's better to work with them. So that's how we cleaned up our organization, and that's how we cleaned up our ad stack. Um, and then we realized that we needed to be, have a differentiation in the market as well. Um, so we have four core principles that we've been focused on. Um, and I've actually, looking at the agenda, listening in today's sessions already, it seems like we're aligning to a lot of these, which I'm excited about. So clients' investment, really what we've been focused on is making sure majority of the investment that brands want to send to publishers is going to publishers. So what that means for me is I am renegotiating rev shares with our partners um, across the board. I'm working with partners that will only work to help enhance the brand's uh, dollar to the publisher. I saw an e-marketer um, chart where it showed 40 cents of, or 40% of the investment actually goes to the, uh, the publisher, which really pisses me off because we're the ones making this great content, especially being the most uh, uh, cited publisher in the world. So it is something that we've been focused on and we've been working with partners and cutting partners that won't meet um, the, the share, rev shares that we are trying to hold to ourselves, because ultimately we want more of that to come to the times and ultimately when we go into brands, we often say, we're bringing our reporting to show you what we see on our side and we want to see what you see on your side. And more times than not, everyone is pretty shocked on the brand side saying, but I thought I sent you this much, where did my dollar go? Where did my investment go? And that's a question that we want to work with. Um, we're also not just the news, um, and this has been a real big challenge because we'll go in meetings and I go on pitches. Everyone's like, well, we're blocking news because of hard news and Trump and all these different factors within the news. Uh, truthfully, 60 to 80% of our content on a given day is not news related. We have more lifestyle and entertainment content than we do news. And that's been a real eye-opening uh, revelation for a lot of agencies and marketers. And right now in the political climate that we have today, um, it's understandable where uh, brands are more sensitive to where their ads are serving. Ads.txt is helping, but also it makes sure, it helps us make sure that they know that we're more than beyond the news. So they adjust their bidding strategy. And um, in addition to that, we're also not just New York. Shockingly, 15% of our traffic is New York. The next highest is California, followed by Texas. Um, and we, we're really more middle of America than we are of the coastal elites. So it is a really nice uh, a reminder for everyone that it's not just New York and California. So on to my two favorites. So what we've realized is that we're not in control. Like I, I, th I like to think that we're in control, 
but the agencies and the brands are ultimately in control and they decide how they're gonna buy. We can do our best going in and pitching and saying, you must go through the direct channel, but realistically, it, they're not gonna do the direct channel, then we have to make our supply available to them. So we have the ambitious goal of having 100% ad product parity. Uh, that's digital ad products that's not necessarily like branded content or anything like that. Um, but what we want to do is anything that we create for our, our advertisers is available through our programmatic channels. And that means our innovative products such as our FlexFrames, which is a responsive native ad that we've been selling, um, and then our new data products around perspective targeting where we actually know how people are feeling when they're reading an article, which is a little creepy, but it's really cool and it performs excellently. If anyone's in here, it's 80% above everyone else, but um, that's just different. But our goal is to make sure that we have 100% ad product parity because they're ultimately choosing their path and we want to remove all barriers and obstacles. Lastly, and my most favorite one, and I actually changed this deck knowing that Jana was going to be coming up after me, is the transparency. We at the New York Times are striving to be the most transparent publisher in the industry. That, that is my goal. That is in my goals for next year and in my goals this year. And really what that means is we will share our data. We will share our rev shares. We will come in and show you our ad server and how we prioritize everything. We have weekly engagements with brands and agencies to show them how we are doing things. We want to remove the black box that is programmatic and actually show them how things are happening. We want to talk about optimized competition because agencies don't know what that is. Um, and we also want to just make sure that if you are sharing data with us, or if not, we'll share data back with you so you have an idea of what's actually happening with your programmatic spend. Um, and that's something that we actually are very, very focused on making sure other publishers are taking this action as well because ultimately if we all start focusing on the transparency portion, we're all going to eventually um, benefit from that. And the other question, and Jana actually, I'm using yours and I think you should say it again, is I want to ask the publishers that won't do that, why? Why won't we share the data because ultimately it's not going to hurt us. And if it does hurt us, then we're doing something on our side that should not be done either. So I encourage most publishers, and when I, we go out and we talk, have dinner, drinks, or at these events, I really encourage all of you to have very, very open and candid, transparent conversations and be willing to share the details that you don't necessarily always want to share. Your data, your revenue shares, how everything is actually performing. That, I, I challenge everyone for that. And additionally, it's really easy, it's Q4, let's put another ad at the bottom of the page, let's turn our refresh up. We don't wanna do that either. We really want the highest quality and going back to how we uh, block more bids than most in the industry, if not the most, depending on what partner comes in and tells me, um, we, we really do want the highest quality ads and the only way you can work with us is making sure that we have the premium partners. So we do block the nefarious groups. We won't work with certain sales categories and so forth to make sure that we have unparalleled journalism and the quality of ads that surround it. So that's how we differentiated ourselves. And that's how we changed our org organizational structure and how we cleaned up our ad stack. And the results from this have been great. Well, positive. Um, the, we have seen substantial uh, increases in programmatic knowledge, competency, and excitement overall with programmatic, which is a success in my book altogether. Um, 
with the personality, personalities of 100 different salespeople globally, if more people are talking about programmatic in a positive tone, that's a very good success in my eyes. And, it, and additionally to that, we have seen growth year over year, and the Times has faced challenges from a yield perspective. Um, we changed our home, our home page and our article pages to have less ads, and we believe in the less, in, less is more tenant, both in the ad stack and then also within our uh, home pages and our article pages to increase in, engagement. And we only believe that revenue is up this year because of the changes that we made here and the uh, path to differentiate ourselves. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I'm Aditi Sango. Did you like the show? Then rate us and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the podcast. Please do it. It helps our podcast to be discovered. And you can also write to me or tweet at me. I'm at Aditi Sango on Twitter or email me at aditi at I'll be back soon with another episode.